The future of the Trans Mountain Pipeline is supposed to be set. Federal government has long said it's going to be built, and now you and I own the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and the feds say it's going to be built. But what? $4.5 billion to buy the assets and probably another $3 billion, the figure, to build it. And there should be a, a profit down the road. That's what they're telling us. I want to talk a little bit more about this today because this is, on, on many levels, I, and I know pipelines, there are millions of miles of pipelines all over North America. Shouldn't be that big a deal. But this particular one has become a symbol for so much more than yet another pipeline. And I want to welcome back to the show a gentleman that we've had on in the past. He's Ian Madsen. He's a senior policy analyst at the Frontier Center for Public Policy. And this week had uh, an op-ed piece published in the Financial Post, and uh, Ian joins us today. Ian, thanks uh, for being with us again. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be on. You know, I think we we have a rough idea of the history of how we got here. But but give me your take on this. How, what, why did we get to the point where you and I now had to become part owners of a pipeline? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, regulatory and legal matters. Uh, even before the B.C. government decided to become uh, obstructionist, um, there was the fact that the uh, federal government changed the rules on pipeline approval to have something called social license. The Trans Mountain expansion was approved, I believe, under the previous uh, Harper regime, but the NEB was uh, thrown out and this uh, new son of NEB was created by the Trudeau government in the last year or two. And uh, either officially or uh, very strongly implicitly, one has to get the approval of uh, landowners and First Nations and everyone along the route, even if they are not directly on the route themselves. Uh, for instance, there are some First Nations in uh, the uh, Burrard Inlet where the pipeline ends in the uh, terminal uh, for shipping who uh, are not uh, physically uh, directly adjacent to the pipeline, but they have some ad objections on uh, concerns about uh, potential spills from increased tanker traffic. Uh, so all these concerns uh, are supposed to be ameliorated, and it almost seems like they must be unanimously so, which is very difficult to do for any project, especially one that sprawls over uh, a long distance or a big area. So this could have ramifications for all kinds of infrastructure projects uh, in Canada and uh, large uh, mining or other resource development projects or industrial projects. So this is a potential problem. Uh, for instance, there is uh, there was some good news on uh, on the LNG project in the Kitimat area. Uh, uh, Petronas has agreed to join with Shell in a $40 billion project, which, of course, is uh, immensely expensive uh, and will have a lot of construct construction disruption. And uh, we already know that there are a lot of uh, objections to that on uh, the uh, global warming front as well as uh, other issues. So this uh, insistence on uh, having uh, everybody uh, buy into something is unrealistic and uh, potentially uh, damaging to the economy in the future, and uh, foreign investors will uh, certainly uh, be wary of uh, getting involved in Canada in any of these sorts of projects mm -hmm. if, if uh, 
sometimes fanatical objections. I, I want to, we'll come back to the international investment angle of this, but how did we get in from being a country, because the Prime Minister keeps insisting that we're a country that's governed by the rule of law, to this notion of social license, that uh, that that a handful of people can block a project if they happen to object to it, never mind what the law says. Um, I think it has to do with uh, uh, philosophy and uh, the political strategy of, of parties. I don't want to get uh, too political or, or, uh, or, or seem partisan in any way. Uh, we're a nonpartisan uh, think tank, and uh, I think some of these things could happen under any uh, political party who's in charge in Ottawa or uh, Victoria or Edmonton or Winnipeg or wherever. Um, they have to satisfy, satisfy certain constituencies, sometimes quite legitimately. Uh, there are some concerns, legitimate ones, about uh, uh, spills of hazardous products and the safety of, uh, of something like a pipeline. However, uh, those uh, kind of concerns are addressed in the uh, regulatory permitting, which Trans Mountain did pass. Uh, and the technology of pipelines has improved. There are some very old pipelines where there are continual uh, leak uh, risks and, uh, indeed, some uh, uh, significant spills that have occurred. Uh, but there are new technologies with better sensors and meters mm-hmm. and uh, gauges and monitoring and better materials and uh, better ideas about engineering and uh, dealing with uh, soils and uh, all the other uh, matters, uh, engineering matters that go into building a pipeline safely and uh, under budget, uh, the latter of which uh, we have some concerns that uh, Trans Mountain uh, uh, may not do uh, under federal uh yeah, I, I want to get into that because you know, as soon as as soon as government starts to get involved in any kind of a project, as we know, Ian, the concern is that the the the, the cost is all of it is now going to start spiking where it wouldn't if you know. In other words, I guess the question is: Is it going to cost you and me more to build this than it would Kinder Morgan? I think it, it tends to be likely. I, I think it's very unlikely that uh, when government gets involved that it will be less than, than when the private sector gets involved uh, because the, the private sector is always willing to uh, walk away or, or, or turn to someone else or, or change plans. And uh, that is explicitly not the case with this particular venture because the government is t- determined it gets built that, uh, no matter what the cost and as quickly as possible. And that's a recipe for uh, major cost overruns and uh, some uh, potential construction mishaps, perhaps. Uh, If you want to see the son of Kiosk Bipole, look no further than uh, Trans Mountain, quite likely, in, in the near future. That's not that's not very comforting. I gotta <laughs> tell you, <laughs> there are people in Manitoba when you start talking bipole and kiosk, and that this thing could wind up being something like that. That's that that's concerning. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the Canadian economy, while not uh, red hot, is at roughly full capacity, especially especially when it comes to construction and uh, major projects. So. To get uh, a construction company to divert its uh, resources from other things it has bid on and contracted for, uh, it will have to 
it will want to ask for uh, more money to uh, put it on its schedule and they may not even be able to put it on its schedule immediately because they have other contracts they need to fulfill. And it's hard to get uh, skilled labor now and interest rates are going up, uh, fuel costs are high uh, and heavy machinery of course uses a lot of diesel fuel. Uh, and uh, machinery costs, uh, much of which is imported from the United States, is more expensive because our dollar has declined, which ironically is uh, because we haven't been able to uh, ship out uh, all the oil we produce at uh, uh, full uh, market uh, prices, which, uh, and uh, as everyone in Canada likely knows, our, our dollar is directly related to the oil price, and people may wonder why. Uh, our dollar ha has not been higher is because we haven't been able to export our oil at uh, uh, reasonable prices, unlike the Americans. Right, we're not getting world price or our oil right now, are we? No, that's right. Uh, uh, it's, it's basically bottled up in Alberta, and uh, this gets to another issue, is that uh, this so-called solution is the result of problems the government created. It did not do anything to uh, blunt the opposition to... Uh, two eastern export lines, uh, Energy East and uh, Line 9, uh, opposition that the Quebec government had, uh, for some uh, vague, uh, with some legitimacy, but uh, mostly not, uh, concerned about environmental issues and, of course, the vague rubric of uh, global warming. Um, and uh, they outright cancelled the Northern Gateway Pipeline, uh, which was another Western route for export of uh, oil uh, to uh, Asian markets. So, uh, and it's also hard to get permits to uh, build uh, refineries and upgraders. Uh, it it would be uh, the whole Trans Mountain uh, issue would be a lot less uh, fervid if there were uh, upgraders and refineries in the either Fort McMurray area or the Edmonton area that uh, could upgrade the uh, bitumen to synthetic oil, which gets a much higher price at some cost, of course. But a lot of the cost is uh, natural gas and condensate, which is fairly cheap right now because so much extra gas is being produced thanks to the fracking revolution. So uh, there are there are a number of ways that this all could have been avoided, but a lot of the problems were caused by the federal government itself, uh, and uh, only only more recently by the British Columbia government. If you had to put money on it, Ian, would you say that this this thing is actually going to get built? Yeah, I, I would say so because the government's credibility is at stake, and they have to have an election in a year and a half. Uh, so it, it will get built, not within that time. It, uh, I, I really doubt it gets built within three years the left, uh, or even five, uh, but uh, it will get built, and the question is at what cost? And if the cost uh, is even more than, than the current uh, estimate of uh, over $12 billion Canadian dollars, yeah, one has to wonder if, if it was really worth it. Can they charge enough to the producers for them to want to uh, uh, sell uh, and ship their, their oil through, through the pipeline? Five years is a long time to wait, uh, even three years, and uh, uh, it's not clear that uh, this will be a satisfactory solution for anyone. And especially for Canadian taxpayers, uh, it could be hard to sell this thing off for uh, $12.5 billion uh, because uh, it's just one line of about 1,000 a, a kilometers and shipping uh, under a million barrels a day uh, at a 
rated capacity, mm-hmm. 890,000. And that's valuing the company uh, at uh, uh, a level that uh, might be hard to stomach for any potential bidders. And, and it's a lot of money, too, to pay. Uh, and uh, pipelines are already at, at their uh, capacity throughout North America. Ian, let me get back to a point that you made earlier, and many others have made as well, that this sends a negative message to potential international investors in Canada. you agree with that? Yes. It shows that it was a desperate move. Plus, government involvement, a direct involvement by purchasing a commercial or industrial enterprise is a little bit alarming because – uh, there, there's a tendency, no matter uh, what the intent and stated intentions are, for government to uh, make uh, political or, or social-based uh, decisions or, or have uh, uh, political or social-based actions within that company once they get control of it. Uh, understandably, because they're the owners, they, they appoint the directors and the senior management, and uh, then it because it is government-owned and, and the creature of the government, it's not purely a, a commercial profit-minded enterprise anymore. Uh, and there could be uh, certain favoritism or bias or mismanagement that goes on, or uh, there could be uh, extra layers of decision-making that has to be gone through, and it just becomes a headache. Whenever there's heavy government involvement in, in an economy, uh, around the world, foreign investors, investors that uh, tend to be wary and, and very careful about what they do. Also, because it was a sign of such desperation, uh, it, it makes uh, people within Canada and outside Canada wonder if we can get anything built or uh, if, if the uh, not-in-my-backyard people and build anything nowhere, anywhere, ever again uh, types uh, really have uh, control over everything. Uh, which adds to costs and delays and, and, and makes it uh, impossible for anything to get done. So um, that's, uh, that's one major issue. Also, uh, for uh, competitors to the government, although there isn't much competition to the Trans Mountain Pipeline, they worry about uh, the fact that it will now become non-taxable as a crown corporation and also have a lower government uh, equivalent uh, debt funding costs. So uh, there's unfair competition in that way, and and also they could start playing favorites as uh, in in terms of regional development or contractors they give things to. So that becomes uh, an uh, amazing. Yeah, this uh, this is tough stuff, Ian. Because if I'm an international company and I want to build a project of this type, uh, I listen to the the Canadian government saying we're we're a nation of laws, and then they start talking about social license, and I, uh, you know, I'm getting a little bit nervous as an international investor. I'm thinking, well, do we do we allow uh, some uh, a minority of voices objecting to this, or do we allow a couple of First Nations whose land isn't even directly impacted by these things to derail a project of this type? I, you know, maybe I'll look somewhere else. Exactly. That is an issue and one of the major problems. Uh, and we haven't even talked about the fact that this, this will add over $12 billion to the government's debt and uh, extra debt servicing costs and uh, higher and federal budget deficit, which is already pushing $20 billion a year. Uh, when they came into power, the, uh, the government had... Uh, uh, the Conservatives tried to conceal it. I think it was something like a three or four billion dollar federal budget deficit, essentially zero, uh, given the size of our economy and the government budget. But now it's uh, ballooned, and interest rates are going up. Uh, 
So the capital costs of this project uh, are going to uh, increase, and uh, I really doubt that it'll, it'll stay fixed at 12 or $12.5 billion. Yeah. Ian, got to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Ian Madsen is a senior policy analyst at the Frontier Center for Public Policy. You can check out his op-ed piece in the Financial Post. It appeared there yesterday. You can find it online.